Well, I'll be darned. Hey, there I am. All right. Whatever we pay him is not enough. That's okay. Give me a chance to warm up a little bit. Aluminum, linoleum, red leather, yellow leather. Yes, I took mixed chorus in junior high because I had to. And if I had known that I would grow up and play music and sing, I might have taken it more seriously, pursued it a little bit. But anyway, here we are. So Jesus, we we come to you this morning. Uh, We want you to speak to our hearts. God, we uh, pray that uh, today, God, that we would receive from you, God, exactly what you have for us. God, channel my thoughts this morning, God, and say what you want to say. Lord God, I just pray you speak through my mouth the things that you want to say this morning, God, and that you would uh, cause us to uh, have hearts to receive, God, to have ears to hear, God, the things that you're saying, God, and to... uh, take to ourselves these very things that you're that you're speaking this morning God that because we've not come to to just hear what it is that you have to say to the church as a whole we've come to hear what it is that you have to say to us as individuals Lord God and we want to uh, receive it uh, most humbly and most gratefully in the name of Jesus we pray amen go with me to Joshua 5 It's a rather um, basic subject, very uh, foundational kind of subject, but I want to talk about circumcision this morning. Um, you know, the, we we start out uh, with circumcision in Genesis 17, is where um, God meets with Abram, and and He gives him this covenant of, of circumcision. And it's then that he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, and Sarah becomes or Sarah I becomes Sarah, and so uh, so we get this idea that that, that circumcision uh, makes a, a, a change in, in who we are, and uh, uh, an interesting picture of circumcision that we find. Uh, in the Old Testament is in the book of Numbers. Roughly the same people, uh, the same amount of people that came out of Egypt go into Canaan. But they're not the same people because all the old people that came out of uh, uh, Egypt died in the wilderness. And, and we're going to read about that a little bit here in a minute. But, uh, you know, we all know that story. We all know that what God's talking about, that the, that the old man that the flesh man is not going to go in uh, and possess the land because the things that God has for us are are spiritual things. So let's start in verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted Neither was there any spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. And I like that because here all these nations that they had come to uh, to destroy, to take over, to possess for themselves, uh, they all knew that their their time was short. They all knew their days were numbered, and uh, you know it's. Uh, 
uh, and we find lots of stories like that, like Gideon, when Gideon was uh, afraid to go and take on the Midianites, and and uh, and after God giving him lots and lots of uh, encouragement, he tells him go down to the uh, to the enemy's camp and and hear what they have to say, and he hears these soldiers talking about how they're most surely going to be destroyed by Gideon and his minuscule army. So, I like this. They're they're afraid. This is before Jericho. You know, we we haven't got there yet. So they but they know what happened to Egypt and and they know who these people are and so their their heart is uh, faint with them within them because of of because here they are now. You know, when you have this destructive force at your doorstep that would be rather disconcerting. And at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make you sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that, that came out were circumcised because they were part of the kingdom. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, they, them had they not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us a land that flows with milk and honey. And their children, whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. So they were born in this this wilderness experience. And I, I I'm actually would like to know why it is that they didn't circumcise them in the way. You would think after God had torn up Egypt and brought them out and everything... One would think they would, uh, you know, be be circumspect to to follow all the rules, you know, kind of make sure we're doing things on the up and up here. Um, but uh, but I I think that perhaps God did that because now they've come over Jordan, God God has uh, rolled back the waters and they've come into the promised land, and they're getting ready to begin this conquest that is going to cause them to possess the land. And so now it comes time to, to circumcise them. It comes time to cut off the flesh. So now we're not talking about about babies. We're talking about adults, which obviously would be a rather unpleasant thing to uh, prospect to face. And so it would require uh, humility and an obedience to allow them to, to do that to you. And, uh, and 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 it would take trust in God because you're not going to be doing anything for a while after that, and you're in this hostile place with people that know that you are out to get them. So this would seem like an opportune time for them to destroy you. But if if God said do it, then we do it, and uh, and and everything will will turn out fine. So, so here we, he's talking about how all these people that came out of the wilderness died, by the way. 
because the, the old man is not going to go into the promised land. And that's why Moses didn't come in because he was that picture of, of the fivefold ministry. But Joshua, Jesus, brought them in to the promised land. And you all know this. I'm preaching to the choir. Um, where was I at? But see, in verse uh, in verse six, he says, uh, "I'll start beginning of it." For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord unto whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us a land that flows with milk and honey. So there was this this lack of obedience and this lack of, of trust that, that kept them out because, you know, the spies went to, to view the land and Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that came back with a, a positive report. You know, how many times have you gone to, you know, kind of gone to assess a situation and you thought, well, this is a disaster. This is not not what I was hoping for at all. This is this, this is not going to go well for us at all. Or, wow, that didn't turn out like I had hoped it would. Now we're going to have to clean up after it. And uh, a lot of that has can have to do with the way you approach it, with your attitude, because you can you can take it as a this is against me and this didn't turn out or this isn't going to turn out or it's like I, you can make up your mind that God knows how to make this all work right. And so uh, uh, a rather mundane example that comes to mind is, um, you know, Mike and I have been painting houses since we were children. And every time we would do a custom home that somebody had picked everything out and they've had this house built specifically for them, uh, I, I really liked the challenge of making the woodwork come out like perfect, and uh, uh, or at least as good as we could within the amount of money that they were paying. And uh, um, nearly every house we ever did like that, we would come in the next morning, and we'd be looking around. And Mike would say, "Wow, this looks really good. This looks great. I'm, I'm happy with this. Let's let's get the walls painted." He's a businessman, you know. I'm more a little artsy when it comes to painting, and, and I'm thinking, man, this doesn't look right. This, I'm not happy with this. Look how this thing turned out. This is unacceptable. And uh, But it makes a difference how you approach it. You know, it's like, I don't know how many times we've had an experience like that where uh, where he would just remind me, well, we can fix it. You know, it's not the end of the world. Like, yeah, that's, I suppose that's true. So, you know, so Joshua and Caleb came back thinking, this is a doable thing. This is going to work great. And everybody else came back saying, this is not going to turn out right at all. And uh, God, God must delight in the idea of taking us out here where we could never do this and destroy us because it's more fun for him that way than to just let us languish in Egypt. And And it's funny how we... We we think like that, you know. The the flesh thinks like that, as you know. Uh, you know, I, I said last week. You know, we often project the the way that we think or the way that we think other people think, and we project it on him as if God were like that. And God says, "I am not a man 
like, I'm not like you. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are not like your ways. And so it's like, uh, it's like being married. Like, you have to kind of figure them out, you know. And, uh, you know, Cynthia and I got married so young that we kind of raised each other. So uh, we, uh, uh, we had dinner with some folks last night, and I was telling them about that. Because we were just wee children at the time, and and so we t- we taught each other, and uh, uh, kind of finished what was what was left over in our our uh, uh, preparation for adulthood, if you will. Um, but but you have to you have to figure somebody out, you know. And and any relationship is like that because everybody's different. People think differently. People act differently. Their their background. Just like Fred was saying the other day, their background is going to make them different than they're going to see things differently than the way you do. And uh, so it takes takes that sense of paying attention and listening and, and studying the person to, to understand what it is that they're like. And so that's what we do with God. We pay attention to what he's saying. And, uh, you know, when, when somebody says something uh, that you don't get or, or you think, I can't believe they just said that to me. Like, sayest thou that to me? You know, then then comes that that moment where you say, um, now did you say that because you hate my guts? Or did you say that because you meant something entirely different? And uh, and then you give them that opportunity. And then, then you begin to understand a little bit about what's going on in their head. And then the next time that happens, you can ask them again. And then eventually you get where I don't need to ask them because I know them. And I, I know what they meant by that. So, you know, and then you come to that place where you're finishing each other's sandwiches, I mean sentences, and, um, um, yeah, thank you. I, I get royalties from Disney, so. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, so relationships are like that. And so these these people... Uh, had come out of Egypt and they'd seen everything that God did for them, and God was mystified that that uh, he he took them pretty much right where they were going. Said, "Here it is," ta-da! And and they looked at it like a bunch of kindergartners and said, "Don't want it." Like that's not going to work for me. You know, that's like that's I I was kind of hoping you were just going to fairy dust this thing on a silver platter for me. And God said, I am. I'm just asking you to go in and kill some people first. And, um, and, and God supplies the fairy dust as you go. And uh, so, but they, they thought, surely God is just out to get us. And, and this must just be really fun for him to, to destroy us this way. So he didn't show them the land. They didn't go in. And uh, uh, Hebrews says that we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And unbelief or doubt, another great word for it, um, is the expectation of bad. It's the expectation that God is not going to do you good, that that he intends something evil for you. Faith is obviously just the opposite. It's the expectation that God has something good for you and that... The thing that makes your eyes bug out and uh, you can't really talk anymore for a while, that, those kinds of experiences are good. And they're for your good. 
and uh, you know it's like it's like a rose. You know, roses are really pretty, and I'm told they smell good. I don't think they do, but they have thorns on them. You know, and we have this rose bush at our house. It's actually three rose bushes that are humongous, and they have all just they're all tangled up, and they're very very thick at the bottom. And we had this little morning glory weed that was killing them. And, uh, you know, you would dig it out, and it was like, I'm back. You would dig it out, I'm back. You could never find the end of it. And uh, we finally, Cynthia and I both attacked this thing, and and I got out the clippers and a saw, and we, uh, it was hanging over the sidewalk. You'd kind of have to, like, suck in your gut to get around it to get to my front door. And uh, so we, we trimmed it down until it looked like this little bonsai tree. And uh, that was last year. And now this year, it, you can't hardly see over it again. And you have to kind of suck in to get around it again. But I can tell you that when by the time we got done trimming that little thing down, we were both covered in these scratches and cuts. And, uh, and if you've ever been scratched up in a rose bush they itch and they sting and they are just really unpleasant but they're roses they're all pretty and you you bring them home to your wife and she puts them in a vase and she takes that little like like throws a tylenol in there for whatever reason and I, I guess you know because it's had its roses removed and it's recovering or it's thorns removed I don't know but um, I digress um so they didn't go in because because they didn't believe. They, they didn't they didn't believe that God intended good for them, but God was also making a picture for us of of the the flesh not uh, being a possessor of of His promises, being a possessor of His kingdom. Because His kingdom comes not with observation, not, it's not with outward show. It's it's in the heart, it's inside, and it's a spiritual thing that you can't see. Uh, so, so he brought in these new people that they grew up on manna, and they they grew up with the the water that came out of the rock that followed them in the wilderness, and they they never knew Egypt. They didn't know, all they ever knew about Egypt was what they heard, and uh, so they they grew up in this place where where God had kept them from all that stuff, and and he uh, and he brought them around again. To, to Jordan and, and then they went in. So so he circumcised them again. And it came to pass, verse 8, that when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off of you. Wherefore, the name of that place is called Gilgal unto this day. So Gilgal means rolling or a wheel. So he says, I've rolled the reproach of Egypt off of you. I thought, well, that's an interesting statement because he ties in. They've been out in the wilderness. These people were never in Egypt. It was their parents that were in Egypt, this older generation. And he says, I've rolled the reproach of Egypt off of you. And we all know that Egypt is is religion. And and, uh, the reproach of Egypt is that it could never do what God and Joshua just did here at Gilgal. It could never 
would never get rid of the flesh. It would make it miserable, and it would sh- uh, shine it up. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, we worked for a guy once that uh, if you had a project that was not really done right, you just kind of, you didn't fix it right before you tried to make it look pretty. He called it lipstick on a pig. And I thought, you know, that's, yeah. So that, that's kind of what Egypt is. Lipstick on a pig. It just it doesn't really fix the stuff. It just tries to pretty up this what you got. And uh, you know why why would you bother fixing up this old dead thing that you're not going to take with you anyway? So so there's this. So he says today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you because I've cut off your flesh. Therefore. Sorry, wherefore the name of this place is called Gilgal for that day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month in the plains of Jericho. So, so now after having been through this place of circumcision, of having their their flesh removed, this this ability, this uh, you know, being disavowed of the idea that they could serve God uh, with their flesh, then they kept the Passover. And the Passover. The, the thing the most important thing about the Passover was the lamb's blood on the doorpost because that's what protects you from the death angel and so and and the reason that it did was because obviously it was a picture of Christ but it takes faith in the blood it takes faith in the blood uh, that you're that you are satisfactory with God that God's happy with you that God sees you uh through the the lens of of that sacrifice that he sees you as being covered in that blood so go with me to Romans chapter 2 you know and uh, uh if you if you uh, look up the word circumcise uh specifically circumcised not necessarily circumcision or whatever uh, in a concordance, it only mentions it a handful of times throughout the Old Testament, actually. And uh, more often than not, he's actually talking about, uh, in Deuteronomy it mentions it, in Jeremiah he mentions it, he says, circumcise your heart. So even then, even in this Old Covenant, you know, God is kind of spelling out, I'm not talking about about this this ritual that you're going to do in the flesh. That's, this is just a sign. The, the important thing is circumcising your heart because I want your heart to be right with me and, and I don't want you to be king over your own life. I want, I want to be your king. So in verse uh, 17 in Romans 2, he says, Behold, you are called a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God and knowest his will, and approve the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Because indeed, when when Moses came down off Sinai with the commandments, it was certainly uh, superior to anything that uh, that any of the other nations around them had, because it was the very the very law of God. He said, "You are confident that you yourself are a guide of the blind." and a light to them which are in darkness, and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, 
which has the form of knowledge and the truth and the law. Thou, therefore, that teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? Excuse me. So he says, uh, you know the law, and you you know what to do, but but are you following it? Because if you've broken one of the laws, then you're a transgressor of the whole law. And so, so he's saying, you know, um, are you are you a hypocrite? Are you are you telling people this is this is what the law says, but are you doing the things that it says not to? Because if your confidence is in the law and your flesh's ability to keep the law, which is what he's talking about here, because that's what the Jews had, was this they had this confidence that they, if they could just do the things that were spelled out in the in the covenant, then that was their ticket to glory, overlooking the blood. And uh, so he's saying here, you're making your boast in the law. The, the, the law is, is your thing that gets you where you're going. But he said, but, but aren't you breaking? If you break that law, aren't you dishonoring God? So he says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as is written. For circumcision verily profits if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, then your circumcision is made uncircumcision. So he's saying you're you're if if you're not if you aren't keeping the law then you're no different than than the people that are outside the the you know because the the Jews saw the people that were outside the covenant as less than that were people that the Gentiles you know were creatures and uh, so he says that if you're if you're a breaker of the law then you're you're just like them he says therefore if the uncircumcision if the Gentiles keep the righteousness of the law isn't, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not the uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge you who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? So he's saying if you see somebody that's not even a part of the kingdom, not part of the covenant, and they're doing what's right just on their own, says by nature they're just they're doing the right thing, doesn't that judge you if you know and, and you're doing it? So he says, He's not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not of the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So he says, essentially you could boil this whole passage down to obedience to the to what God wants you to do is is paramount. Faith in His in His uh, merit is paramount, and that um, uh, having been circumcised on the eighth day uh, is uh, meaningless. You know, if, if you have this this little piece of skin cut off, it really uh, is not. Uh, God's not concerned about that at all. What he's concerned about is your heart. He's concerned about what's inside because circumcision 
is of the heart and in the spirit. And so, so that's the thing that he wants. Uh, go with me to uh, believe Philippians three. You know, and uh, having a, you know, coming to a place of being circumcised of the heart would take takes all the the uh, the humility and submission and obedience that that it was that it took for those the children of Israel at Gilgal to submit to being circumcised. Like I said, being a grown man, and and it's like now you're going to be circumcised. And while you're in a, a hostile place, um, doesn't seem like it would be all that easy of a thing to be like. Okay, say I, I could do that. that. I'm fine with that. And and it's funny how we can come to that same kind of difficulty in being circumcised in heart, because if we have things that we want to hang on to or things that we that we'd like to just sort of reserve the right to to keep keep around for convenient moments. Um, it can be hard to just submit to letting God do it, letting God just cut those things off. Um, it, it's a lot easier to to uh, do something for someone if, if you're, you know, if you ever tried to fix a little girl's hair and they won't hold still, or a little boy, for that matter. My, you've seen my boy's hair. I don't know how many times I've had people think that Jeremy, that we gave Jeremy a mohawk and it was really cute. I was like, no, you, it, that's what his hair does, and you can't make it go away. And, uh, but you know, when when you if you're trying to, you know, fix their hair and they won't hold still and they're moving around and, you know, it's it's not so easy. And so it, it takes. Surrender. It takes submission to just sitting still. And you know, if you were going in for surgery, that's partly why they typically make you unconscious because you're going to get a little squirmy as the scalpel gets nearer and nearer to your flesh. You know, you'd look like a, uh, something off of Looney Tunes, and your stomach would suck in, and then it would go over here, and, and uh, like just cringing away from. This this uh, impending pain. So so it takes it takes surrender to to what it whatever it is. If God's saying, hey, this this thing here, let's let's cut this thing off and and be rid of it because you don't you don't need this. You don't you don't really want to have this around. It it uh, he's not going to cut it off if you won't let him. And so so you have to be willing to surrender to that circumcision. So in Philippians 3, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And and you, you know this, this chapter well. Paul goes on to talk about how together his flesh was because he, he says if, if 
If any man thinks that he has confidence in the flesh, I more. He's like, I had all my duckies in a row. I did everything right. The righteousness according to the law, I was blameless. And it was all nothing. It was all worthless. And uh, just like we read in Romans 2, like if you if you aren't circumcised in heart, then being circumcised on the eighth day and showing up at the synagogue every Saturday and and you know wearing the robe with all the little fringes does nothing for you. So he says that we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. So again, it's not a it's not about a, a flesh thing. It's a spirit thing. Because God is a spirit and he uh, seeks such to worship him. And that we rejoice in Christ Jesus because uh, because he did it. Because it's his merit that is conferred on us when we accept him. And it, it's his righteousness, his justice that God sees when he looks at us. And so we we don't have to come in wringing our hands that God is, is unhappy with us because we know that, that we if we have accepted his blood, if, if we are washed in that blood and and then we know that that we are we're clear with God and you can come into his presence with with rejoicing. It's not such a rejoicing thing if you feel like you've got something that you need to deal with, but it's not a difficult thing to deal with. It just takes real surrender, real submission, real obedience, real repentance. And and then God can indeed cut those things off and, and get rid of them. And we so we worship God in the spirit, we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh because when just as as Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Because if you've tried and discovered that you you don't have it together as well as the guy in the row in front of you. That uh, um, it's like wow, I set out high hopes and and I thought that this was going to be a great thing and that I could I could do this. Then uh, and you found out that it didn't work like you hoped it would. When you found out that your flesh uh, is really little more than a hindrance when it comes to serving God, then uh, then you begin to have confidence in in Him and not in your flesh. When you you knew uh, the and one would think that you know the older you get, the more the more you would kind of have it together. But what happens is the older you get, the more you discover that you're in in your flesh dwells no good thing. But uh, so what happens is you you need him just as much. It's just you understand it more now. And you see it more clearly now that, wow, I really need him, and and he doesn't he doesn't deal with those things right away because you, your heart would just quail and you'd give up, but but he draws you in with that love and and he just he deals with the things a little bit at a time and and he teaches us through our experiences not to have confidence in our flesh and uh, in fact he does one better than just cutting the things off because he also has the fire of the Holy Ghost. And so 
you know, and you need, you know, the thing that I thought of when I read the story in Joshua, I thought, what did they do with all this pile of unpleasantness? You know, it does, you, do they bury it? Do they burn it? You know, it seems to me like you would want to just burn this stuff and make it go away. And, you know, that's what God does is when you, when you, you come to that place where it's like, God, I have no more confidence in my flesh. Uh, at least on this issue, I know you, you have brought me around to the place where I know that I know that I know I can't, I can't do any better than this. And what I need is you. I, I need you to bring me past this. So what I want is the fire of the Holy Ghost, just like Elijah, Elijah called for on Mount Carmel. And just burn out this thing. And, and that's what God does. And he, I mean, I can tell you he will do it. And, and if you're worried that he might miss something, then you can ask him to send in the hornets because God will get in there and he will bring those things to the surface where there's no mistaking it. There's no missing it. You, he, he will bring those, the, those little sneaky things that try and, and avoid the circumcision, that try and avoid the fire, sometimes avoiding even your own notice because you grew up with them and you're just used to them and then they seem normal to you. God knows how to send in the hornets to to bring those things out of their little hidey holes and be consumed in the fire of the Holy Ghost. And so if you uh if you don't think that that God can do that, then find somebody that's been here for a while and ask him about that. And I can tell you that nearly everybody here could immediately think of some Thing that they became utterly disgusted with in their life and they were ready for it to change and they asked for the fire of the Holy Ghost and it may not have happened the first day. It didn't, they weren't rid of it by the tenth day. But there, through a process of time, the fire came down and burned that stuff out and they are glad that he did. So, So God knows how to... He knows how to cut off our flesh. He knows how to burn the carcass. But it takes it takes a willingness on our part to to ask for it, to submit to it, to to just let him do it. And because you know, when you, you get in a situation that's really painful, you kinda of want out now. And uh you know, you can't really get out of some of the things that God does right in the middle. It's like having a baby. You can't just stop in the middle. It's like, I, I, can I take a break now? I'd really like to go home and relax for a while. Uh, doesn't doesn't work that way. You know, Cynthia was in labor with Levi all night. And then it kind of stalled out. And they're like, well, you're still in labor, but uh, nothing's really happening right now. So, you know... What do you want to do? Yeah. And uh, somebody had the brilliant idea of, you know, we could make this happen if you don't want to wait too terribly long, but you could take a nap. So she got to take a nap. So God knows how to bring you respite when you need it. <laughs> but uh, I, I was there when, when he when he appeared, and it was glorious. But, uh, um, yeah, so... God knows what he's doing and he knows how to get those things done in your life. And I can guarantee you that 
if, if you'll let him, that, that he will get the stuff done. So Jesus, we thank you for this day and for your word, for your unending faithfulness to us, God. And God, every time we meet, God, you just you show up and you, you bless us with your presence. You bless us with your peace. You bless us with your words. And God, today we just pray that, uh, that we would indeed recognize uh, ourselves to be a part of that company which worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. God, our confidence today is in you and in you alone because you know how to get the things done. God, you are that divine surgeon. Lord God, and you know you know how to to cut the things off. You know how to purify the things with fire. And God, I just pray that in every one of us you would bring us that, that heart of surrender that would uh, just bow at your feet and let you do what it is that you do. Now just touch the service today. Bless us with your presence. God, meet with us in this place. God, I come into this place expecting you to, to bring us something from your throne. And I come to this place prepared to bring you my offering of, of praise and worship, God. And I just pray that today that you would be blessed, God, that we would be blessed, God, that we would uh, uh, rejoice in you, God. We are a blessed people. God, your word says that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And, and uh, you're not really the Lord over this nation anymore, but we accept you. God, uh, as Lord over our lives as individuals, God, and we want you to be Lord over every life in this church, God, um, and we just pray, God, for your people around the world, God, that you would bring everyone into that sense of complete surrender to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. All right. God bless you guys.